Anchor FM is one of the best ways to make and distribute your podcasts. Their online creative tools can allow you to make your podcasts from home and on the go. Anchor will also help you get your podcast sponsored with no minimum listenership and help you make money while doing your podcast. And distribution is the easiest thing ever. I've used many different distribution sites. Anchor so far has been the best. And they can get you on every major distribution site out there. They can take your RSS feed, whether you're creating a new one or if you're just moving a show from another platform, sign up for Anchor at anchor.fm now. And when you get there, Make sure you pay attention to everything they tell you to do, and they'll help make your podcast great and help make you some money. Again, head on over to Anchor.fm now. Blog Talk Radio. Any minute now. What an amazing in- start to the show. The intro has decided. There we go. Now start. You're listening to Wide Men Can't Jump on the Wide Men Radio Network, located at blogtalkradio.com slash wide men can't jump and at widemencantjump.com. Here's the best pod in sports, bringing you all the NBA highlights, analysis, and even some... <laughs> ...has decided to start again. You're listening to Wide Men Can't Jump on the Wide Men Radio Network, located at blogtalkradio.com slash widemencantjump and at widemencantjump.com. Here's the best pod in sports, bringing you all the NBA highlights, analysis, and even some college basketball analysis as well. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Stephen P. News and CamBay.com. You can find this show at iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, iHeartRadio, and anywhere you find podcasts, as well at WideMenCan'tJump.com. Now let's go to the flagship program and this episode of Wide Men Can Jump. Well, now that the intro has decided to cooperate, welcome to Wide Men Can't Jump, our 75th episode. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't beat it. 75th episode, Playoff Palooza Round 1. And joining me, as always, the man, the myth, from way up north, the one and only... Ladies and gentlemen, this is what happens when you give iPhones to tech-savvy Philadelphia 76ers players, and they're on the bench hacking white men can't jump. Well, that sounds about right. <laughs> they would be doing that during the game. But <laughs> if they do, they'll want to after we're done talking about them today. 
Yeah, I don't think they're going to be too happy with what we have to say. No, but not. they did. But they did kind of bounce back in game two. So I mean, we they can't did, hold them. But they're, you know, the, the 76ers are just the, the gift that keeps on giving. They really are. They are, and we hope, we hope, ladies and gentlemen, tonight to hear from our on-the-road correspondent with the 76, our man, T.R. Shock, Tom Robinson. He will hopefully be joining us live via phone as he is covering the 76ers for the Bucks, for, for the, the Delco pamphlets. Uh, there for the Welcome Center in New Jersey, so we hope TR can get went us there. With, you know, via satellite like it was back in the 70s. Well, I'm not going to lie to the good people. They know better than that. They know we can't afford satellite. We speaking, can only afford certain things here. Speaking of which, what in the hell is a palooza? That sounds like something out of a Dr. Seuss book. Like Lollapalooza, you know, just a palooza. What the hell is a, a, good what the hell is a Lollapalooza? It's just a whole bunch of stuff. Lollapalooza right. is the big music festival, so this is playoff of Palooza. Okay, so. but that's a pile of useless stuff, the Lollapalooza. Eh, this is going to be good stuff. This is going to be good stuff. And uh, if you hear any noise in the background, that's my son. Uh, he has decided to make himself known today. He's a good guy. Guidemeister. Yes, he's indeed. Already, he's got the shirt. He's He's been there. So, you know, what are you going to do, right? He is, exactly. But let's go ahead and dive into the playoffs. And joining us right now, Tim, this, we're starting off tonight here on White Men Camp. Starting off um, hot? All right. Well, it can't be any worse than that intro. Joining us <laughs> right now is the Nuggets beat writer for Mile High Sports and host of the Nuggets Daily Podcast, our man covering the Denver Nuggets, TJ McBride. TJ, thanks for joining us. TJ. Absolutely, guys. How's it going? Doing it great. Well, sir. You? Uh, it's hard to be upset. It's a very fun time of year for me. Yeah, you got to You have to be loving that game two result, no doubt. Well, I mean, the more playoff games that I get to cover, I'm good with. I'm not a Nuggets fan myself. I didn't grow up in Denver, so this is a team that I just cover. I just happen to really like this Nuggets roster, the way that they have grown around Michael Malone, and the fact that they are kind of ahead of the curve, but they don't care. They're still kind of just pushing. So I've I've just really enjoyed covering this team a lot. So it's been cool to see them grow, and I'm going to try and get every playoff game that I can get, that's for sure. Well, and that's yeah, interesting that. to hear. It's interesting to hear because most people cover their teams and instantly they're their favorite teams. But for you, not so much. That, that's a neat little factoid that I'd never really thought about. Uh, but I think you almost have to look at teams whenever you cover them. You cover them so much and you, you watch them so much, you almost have to be rooting for them in a way. You know, maybe not when they played the team you grew up loving, but at least when they're playing um, a team that, you know, I would say if you're not a Knicks fan, everybody roots against the Knicks. So sorry, Knicks fans, but um, <laughs> you got you got to be rooting for them when they play those other teams. To a degree, I mean, from what I've gathered, most people when they start really covering a team in the building, they actually lose that fandom for the most part. It becomes more of like I enjoy basketball and analyzing the game itself more than I have a faithful rooting interest in a team without a whole lot of evidence as to why I'm doing so. You know what I mean? Like it is just a uh, like 
I, I just enjoy the league now as a whole more. So I grew up a Lakers fan. From, you know, from California originally. So I just I grew up. Well, just we do watching Kobe and watching Shaq. Oh man! No, it's yeah, okay. We, Trust me, I'm not. I'm yeah, not a fan we, anymore. This is what happens. Feel, is that like I don't care anymore. I just like the game. Yeah, I, I totally, totally I'll get that. It for you. <laughs> Even the diehard Laker fans are struggling a, this year. But yeah, let's, it's, it's, it was a rough year in Lakerville this year, but they'll, they'll get better. No worries there. Let's, let's go ahead and look at um, look at this series here. Game one, uh, the Spurs come out because we didn't really cover this series last week. We thought this would be an interesting series if these two teams met because we weren't 100 percent sure of what would happen. Game one, Spurs come out, still one in Denver. They win 101 96. Uh, looking at the Nuggets game one, where did they fail? What happened that caused them not to be able to stick with the Spurs in game one? Was it was Greg Popovich just out coaching them, or did something change? Was there maybe you didn't get the production out of the players that you wanted? What happened, TJ? It seems so trivial to simplify a complex game like basketball this much, but the Nuggets just didn't make their open shots. If I remember correctly, they were like 5 of 31 on shots that NBA.com deems open or wide open, which is defenders four feet or farther away from the shooter when they take the shot. The Nuggets just literally could not hit open shots. They were creating open shots at will. Nikola Jokic was being doubled every time a pass was on its way towards him, and they were even defending very well. But those open shots just wouldn't fall. And then even when you jump to game two, you start looking at the fact that for the first three quarters, shots just didn't fall. The Nuggets have been able to play the Spurs virtually even throughout the first seven quarters of this series by, without able to hit their open shots. So now that we saw them finally hit those shots in the fourth quarter, are they going to start getting some rhythm and some momentum behind them? Because if they do, the Spurs are going to be in for a very rude awakening potentially. That's true, and, and, you know, we look at game one here. You look at the stat line. DeMar DeRozan had a nice game for the Spurs, 18 points, 12 rebounds, six assists. Aldridge had 15 and eight. Uh, Forbes, 15 and five. White, 16 and three with five assists. So not a bad series. Rudy Gay had 14. So they were kind of balanced, the Spurs were in their attack. Uh, But they're down this year compared to years past where they would be considered, you know, a favorite to maybe make a run to the finals. But you look at this Nuggets team in game one, the you, know, you talked about the making open shots. Shooting percentages were not terrible, but if you look at it, you know, Will Barton, 40%, Millsap, 44%, Jokic, 44%, Gary Harris, 58%. But Jamal Murray had 17 points, but he only made 34% of his shots. He went 8 of 23 from the floor, and then you had Monte Morris, who struggled. He only had two points. He went one of six from the floor. Uh, then you had Mason Plumley, who also struggled. It just seemed like maybe that second unit for the Nuggets couldn't step up and really hold that lead like they had done for most of the season this year because the Nuggets are a very deep squad. 
Yeah, but they're only playing nine players, eight and a half, really, because Torrey Craig isn't really playing a full role in every single yeah. game. So it wasn't really just a bench unit. They don't play hockey lines in that way anymore in the playoffs where they're just going to run out four bench guys. They are staggering to some extent, and they're still missing those shots. So while I do agree with you that the bench unit, when, when most of the starters were not on the floor, they struggled, and a lot of that has to do with because Mason Plumley, for some reason, this matchup with the Spurs is just awful for him. And every single game that they have played this year, his offensive rating has been under 100, and there just isn't – I haven't found a tangible reason as to why he's not able to produce against this Spurs team, but – it was strange to see so many things the Nuggets do so well just not function for them. And that was kind of my takeaway is that the Spurs are hitting all of these tightly contested, very difficult mid-range shots that are inefficient shots that usually don't drop while the Nuggets are missing these wide-open, beautiful three-pointers. So what happens when all of these things start to regress back to the mean? And that's what I felt happened in the fourth quarter of, of Game 2 when finally shots started to fall. And once that happened, the floodgates opened. Yeah, and, and that's that's exactly what happened. And uh, Tim, wanna, you got anything you want to mention okay, so, about Game One before we jump yeah, to Game let, Two? Let's, let's go to Game that. One. I mean, obviously the the Nuggets couldn't hit a three pointer to save their soul for whatever reason. Just no good looks or good looks, poor shooting. Not sure. Six of twenty eight, not so great. What happened in the third quarter of that game? Was that uh, a... They got punched and folded a little bit. That's what I saw. It looked like a team that had high hopes coming into the game, was a little bit overly excited, and then when they got punched by that Spurs team, they the, the nerves kind of hit at that point, I thought. That's when you know they had a very good defensive third quarter, but they really struggled offensively and, again, just couldn't hit shots. So when they got punched like that, I was surprised to see them fold as quickly as they did, but they did bounce back. They did come back and almost win that game in the fourth quarter. But in that third quarter, they played some very good defense despite the fact that they couldn't hit anything offensively. So then would you be willing to go maybe out on a limb a little bit and say that was – let's take the third quarter of game one is Denver at their worst and the fourth quarter of game two is Denver at their best? Probably not just because they were so good defensively in that quarter. Like that's a very important distinction to make because when this Nuggets team can add in just some shot making with that kind of defensive performance, they're not just going to win games. They're going to win series. So I do think it's an important distinction, but at the same time, that was easily their worst offensive quarter of basketball. They just couldn't hit anything. They were very much so timid offensively. They weren't aggressive anymore. And they just really kind of fell off the map in that third quarter, but it was good to see them play defense because that was their biggest issue last year. And really over the past three, four years was the fact that they just didn't have the ability to play lockdown defense when they needed to. Well, in that third quarter, they did, and it kept them in the game and gave them a chance to win it in a one-possession game at the end of the game. Yeah, so would you, and it felt – Would you – oh, go ahead, Dave. I was just well, going to say that TJ's right on that because they did only lose by five in game one, and a lot of people were looking at that loss as something big. you got to remember, you're going against, in my opinion, a team that's coached by – arguably the best coach of all time in Greg Popovich. He's going to have a game plan, and he's got a Spurs team that maybe is down on what their normal talent is. But this is not a typical seven seed that you're playing. When you see a seven seed, most of the time you see kind of a, a little bit of a breeze past or a team that maybe struggled all year. This is a Spurs team 
that finished strong in the regular season, played very well together down the stretch, and have a guy who's probably the best coach of all time. So this was not an easy draw for Denver. And to lose only by five, that, that's a, you know, you don't want to say for a young team that, you know, they needed a little bit of adversity, I think, to prove themselves. And they've done that, especially once we get to game two. But go ahead, Tim, what you were saying. No, you pretty much – I just uh, – I, I kind of – from my point of view, I, I kind of thought Denver wouldn't really have that much trouble um, winning this series. And now I'm sort of – I'm not on the fence quite yet, but uh, they're going to have to have some good efforts if, they, if they're going to win. Now, giving up on court. Yeah, my thing when it comes to that is that I think the Nuggets are significantly more talented and they match up extremely well with the Spurs, but they've made the playoffs for 21 straight years. This is a team that is just stocked full of veteran players who have been there and done that. And the Nuggets are only playing Paul Millsap in a big-time role that has ever played in the playoffs before. Yes, Mason Plumlee has been there, but he's played anywhere between 10 and 15 minutes a night. So you don't have him on the floor as a leader who has been there and done that before. So this is a group of guys who have never been there. And on top of that, Michael Malone has never been to the postseason as a head coach before. So he is also figuring this out as he goes along. So I was not surprised to see them lose in that way in game one. For them to be able to battle back to the point to where they had a chance with a single possession and the ability to take the lead back, that says to me that this team has the resiliency to hang with the Spurs team. And we saw that in game two yeah we did and and speaking of game two let's go ahead and look at game two I saw something today um and I I usually try to avoid the national sports tv but I was uh I was getting some wings because I'm a big boy this is why men can't jump we like wings here um so yeah I know Tim sounds shocked uh but (laughs) I saw something on tv today uh and it was posed to i believe it was scotty pippen maybe uh maybe someone else did jamal murray save the nugget season in game two so i'm going to pose that question to you before we break down heads and tails of game two but do you feel like jamal murray saved the season for the spurs in game two yes undoubtedly yes the nuggets have not won in san antonio in their last 13 games on top of that when you go down 0-2, lose home court, and then have to go into San Antonio, which is one of the toughest places to play playoff basketball, and you would said you have to go win two games? I mean, because if you win one, you're still not going to come away with a victory in that series. So the Nuggets would have been done. That would have been effectively the series, in my opinion. Of course, in the NBA, anything could happen. There is a percent chance that they could have come back. I just do not have any thought in my mind that there would have been a scenario in which the Nuggets could have rebounded from an 0-2 hole after losing both of those games in the Pepsi Center. So I do think Jamal Murray saved their season. Yeah, and Jamal Murray had a great game in game two there. Jamal Murray ended up with 24 points, and he had a great, great ball game for the Nuggets. But a lot of guys in the 20-point range, Gary Harris had 23, uh, Jokic 21-13, Paul Millsap ended up with 20. And the bench has gotten shorter, as, as we talked about. Will Barton, he played 25 minutes. He didn't have one of his better games, only three points, five rebounds. Uh, you look at Morris again, he had 11 points. But the big four guys for the Nuggets stepped up, got a big win, and that's what they needed. 
the big thing is now that they've tied the series with the Spurs heading to San Antonio. They have to still win in San Antonio. That's that's what's going to need to happen. And it seems as though the Nuggets have really struggled, you know, quarter by quarter, as you would say, because San Antonio had a nice lead there heading into um, halftime. And the Nuggets only won two quarters of that game. Fortunately for them, they won the fourth quarter big, 39-23. to Do the Nuggets need to get out ahead of the Spurs early on come game three in San Antonio? It would help a ton. There's no arguing that. Them getting out quick and being able to get themselves a lead, not start in a hole, would be absolutely beneficial for them. But at the same time, again, the Nuggets have the firepower to keep up so long as they can make shots. I mean, the Spurs team is not a group that is going to go out there and start hitting 15 to 23s on you in a single game, but the Nuggets can do that at any given point. So in terms of just raw firepower, the Nuggets should be able to hang with the Spurs so long as the game is within 12 points, which is really what happened. I mean, when you look at this last game, you talk about the halftime score, when there was five minutes and 45 seconds left in the third quarter, the Nuggets trailed by 16 points. From that moment forward, they outscored the Spurs 57 to 34 in under 17 minutes. Like, that's how hot they could get. That's how quickly they can just run you off of the floor. So, while, yes, it, they, it would make them feel so much more comfortable to get out ahead, that does not mean they are doomed if they don't. Very true, very true. Tim, game two thoughts. What do you think? Well, you know, that's, it was a good game, a nice, solid comeback. Uh, I really – it's always good. I enjoy – like, Denver's not a team. I mean, I'm up here in Canada. We don't, that's a team we don't get a look at. I don't really know much about the Denver Nuggets because they never make it onto uh, onto the national television up here. So it was a, it was an enjoyable game. I watched quite a bit of it. Surprisingly, I did get the playoff game for some reason. Don't know why. Um, but uh, you know the Spurs. When I think of the Spurs, that's a team that uh, as a because I'm more of a casual fan to be honest. That's that's a team that strikes fear into me from years gone by. But they look like they. You know they're they're not what they once were. Uh, they got a great coach, obviously, but uh, I think they might be they might be right for the picking. So hopefully the game two set a uh, a standard and uh, they follow up. I mean they only got to get one of the next two, and then they're back to home court advantage again. So that that's doable. They they should be able to pull that off. I think no argument for me. That's for oh, sure. Go ahead. I think that the Spurs oh, are down. Go ahead, TJ. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. Go ahead. Get your thought off. I've been talking plenty so far. <laughs> Basically, all I'm saying is the Spurs, again, they're a little down this season. That Remember, they started this season without their starting point guard. So the fact that they're doing what they're doing without their, their starting point guard has been incredible to me. Uh, but the Spurs really aren't as strong as they've been in years past. All their big three are gone. The Nuggets have lived up to the hype I set for them this year. I had the Nuggets as one of my top four teams in the West to start the season. Everyone thought I was crazy. Uh, who's laughing now, bitches? So that's all I'll say there. But <laughs> anyway, I think the Nuggets. Um, I think the Nuggets have a potential to make a run here. And the best part for the Nuggets, if they get through this first round, they don't have to see both the Rockets and the Warriors because I think those are two teams that pose problems for Denver with the way they play, 
if things go the way they're supposed to go in the, in the West and the way I think they'll go, Golden State and Houston will see each other in the second round. So if you're Denver, you've got to be happy about that. So we'll see what yeah. what they have for them. And um, do, you, do you agree with me that maybe those two teams would be the two biggest matchup issues for the Nuggets? Oh, yeah. There, there's no arguing that fact if you ask me. But what I think is really interesting is how the Nuggets were able to get them on the other side of the bracket. Did you guys see all that chaos that happened in the last two days of the regular season? Oh, yeah, we were covering it. We were here. We were trying to trying to make heads or tails out of it, make a guess. I got it. I renewed my math degree trying to figure out who would end up where <laughs> based on who beat whom, and it was crazy there for the last two or three years. It was. It was wild, but it was fun. Oh, so fun. And to see Portland win with six guys after being down 28 points and all of that chaos to put Denver here, if they can – find a way to be able to get past the San Antonio Spurs, it's going to be absolutely hysterical that the team that allowed the Nuggets to get Utah, uh, Golden State, and Houston on the other side of the bracket is the team that the Nuggets are going to face in the second round in Portland. And on top of that, Portland without Yusef Nurkic is extremely vulnerable to what the Nuggets do offensively. They do not have a soul on that team who can stop Nikola Jokic. He may average 35 points a game against Ennis Cantor. There is nothing he can do against Nikola. So if Denver can get by this very savvy and veteran Spurs team, they have as good of a chance as anybody to get to the Western Conference Finals. I'm still going to be that guy. I still think the Oklahoma City Thunder have something to say in that series right now. I know they're down 2 Oh, I... Man. I still, but I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> if they go, if they go, if they go down three, I'm sorry, it's you're over. cutting it out there. No, no, no you're fine. Dummy. If they go down three, oh, it's over. But if they can get both games at home, we got a brand new series, and <sighs> Russell Westbrook and Paul George give me that combo over Lillard McCollum every day. I know they struggled. But I'm telling you, Portland's a tough place to play. If they can win both games in Oklahoma City, and that atmosphere is going to be rocking, I guarantee you, Portland is not going to get game three. If they win both games in Oklahoma City and they can still win in Portland, whether it be game five, probably game five would be the one they need, they can win this series. I'm not counting them out yet. So well, while should. I would agree with you if it was two weeks ago and Paul George still had a functioning right shoulder, I would be 100% with you. But now that that right shoulder has become, whether it's he can't lift his arm, it's so painful, or pain-free, as he has said both in the past 48 hours, we literally just don't know. So my thing with that is, without Paul George being on pace to hit 300 threes like he was earlier in the year, Russell Westbrook then becomes extremely vulnerable to how defenses can defend him, because he has been so historically bad as a three-point shooter this year. So while, yes, they do have the star power, if Paul George isn't healthy, I don't think it matters. Well, I I will agree with you there. He's definitely going to have to step up, and he's going to have to have a health. Paul George has regretted the Philadelphia 76ers disease. Yeah, really. The Mark shoulder. Yeah, he can't lift his arms over his head. Yeah. But game three in that series is going to be interesting, just like game three in the Nuggets-Spurs series is going to be a fun one to watch. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, hopefully get to sit around, watch a little playoff basketball, 
Man, this is I think my we, favorite. I, I think the winner yeah. of game three wins the series. You know, you could be right there, Tim. Honestly, you could be right. Um, game three is on Thursday night, April 18th. If you're listening to this at 9 p.m. Eastern time from San Antonio, the Nuggets and the Spurs. And, TJ, I assume you'll be there. I will be there, yes, sir. Awesome, awesome. Unfortunately, this game's on NBA TV, which I think is bullcrap. How but... did a, how did a how did a guy from LA end up in Denver? It's not yeah. LA. <laughs> That's usually what happens to people who are from out there. You know, this is what it is. Yeah, fair enough. So there's a story <laughs> there, but we're not going to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> a story that very few people need to hear. That is for sure. Okay, all right, all right. There. That's enough then. Okay, I'm. Well, there I'm you go. Now. Good enough. Oh, don't stress it all. Don't stress it all. Oh, it's all right. TJ, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time and jumping on here and talking nuggets with us. And if they're able to pull out the series over the Spurs, maybe in a week, a couple weeks, we'll have you back on, man, because we want to talk more playoffs. We want to talk about more developments and talk about a Nuggets run as they march on in the playoffs. So let our listeners know where they can find you, and uh, we hope to have you back. Yeah, you can find me at TJ McBride NBA on Twitter. I post way too much stuff on there. You can find all my work at milehighsports.com and subscribe to the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast on iTunes and all of your podcast platforms. Subscribe to this man's podcast after you subscribe to White Men Can't Jump. So make sure you show (laughs) Even before, as long as you get ours next, then it's okay. As long as, as long as we get a subscription. So, TJ, thank you, and we hope to have you back real soon, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, anytime, guys. Have a good one. Have a good night, sir. And that was TJ McBride, our man covering the Denver Nuggets. And, man, TJ's so great. He knows his stuff. And he's been one guy that I can always turn to anytime I need Denver Nuggets news. He's given me – he's one of the guys ESPN goes to. ESPN goes Uh, to him, uh, and they'll retweet his reports. Good guy, and I love that name because it reminds me, like, because I'm so old. It reminds me of like an 80s like top sitcom kind of show. T.J. McBride. <laughs> he was a young, a young man from Los Angeles who ended up in the wilds of Denver, Colorado. Uh, T.J. McBride, that could be a lawyer name, don't you think? Well, it was, I guess, T.J. Hooker was a real TV show. Yeah. T.J. So McBride, not, attorney at law. T.J. McBride. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to run that by him next time. But speaking of attorneys at law, let's go ahead and introduce. Do you like uh-huh. that? Do you like Segway. that? You know, you know what? That was that was a Segway. Uh, Segway. into our commercial here. Let's hear from the law offices of Stephen P. New. Personal injury, product liability, workplace accidents, mesothelioma law, social security disability, unfair insurance practices, family law, employment discrimination, and more. All this can be handled at New Law Office with Stephen P. New. It's New Law Office with Stephen P. New. You can get your free consultation today by calling 1-800-208-9169 or 304-362-7345 for your free consultation. A new level of personal service, whether you've been injured or facing divorce or experiencing workplace discrimination, you can rely on compassionate, thorough representation from New Law Office. Be sure to contact Stephen P. New Law Office at newlawoffice.com or again get your free consultation at 1 800 203 9169.
Stephen P. New, answers to your legal questions. Be sure to check out Stephen P. New, attorney at law, the new law office at newlawoffice.com. Well, Tim, the NBA playoffs. Oh, let me, give me a second. Go ahead. ahead. Stephen P. New, if you're a Lou, he will sue, you will be screwed. (laughs) Nice. You've been working with Dr. Seuss on that, haven't you? Because that guy, let me tell you. You want to talk about a name that puts fear in the hearts of, of uh, defense lawyers everywhere? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Scary stuff. Definitely. They, don't, they do not want to see that man's name come up in the docket. Well, if you want to talk about but, surprises. Moving on. The first night of the NBA playoffs, man, there was surprises coming left and right. The first surprise, Orlando Magic Toronto Raptors. Your Raptors, Tim. Up in Canada, the place was rocking, and, and Orlando they, comes in and steals one. They laid an egg of a goose. They did. Uh, Kyle Lowry was non-existent. For Boy, was he? Zero uh, Kawhi Leonard played okay, but missed some shots that he normally wouldn't. They honestly, like I didn't watch the whole game. I watched part of it. I'm a channel yeah. surfer, but I have to admit they they looked a little bit disinterested, almost like you know we got this, no problem. Yeah, and they woke up on the short end, and because that's what happens. Well, they they did kind of overlook. By the way, folks, we want to bring up this. If you hear any noise in the background, or if you hear Tim maybe drift a little bit. Tim's a hockey guy. He's watching the Maple Leafs tonight. His oh, Maple I've, Leafs are playing the NHL hockey playoffs. So I've already we'll turned overlook. it off. No, no I don't turn it off. Leave it on. Leave no, it on. I've turned it, I've turned it off. I've cursed them. Usually if I don't watch, they'll do better because they're getting hammered right now. So <laughs> that bad, huh? Turn it off. I love basketball, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what the Leafs are doing tonight, folks, but it can't be good, whatever. It, it wasn't, it isn't, and moving on. Uh, Toronto, well, who, yeah, I love, that, love me them Raptors. Ooh. Love me some yeah, Raptor just, wins. Yeah. yeah, I just saw the score. Who the Leafs. Ooh. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, yep, you know, Toronto, right. Mark Gasol had 13. Uh, Danny Green had 13 in game one. Leonard with 25. Pascal Siakam, one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, he had 24. Man, he played 40. Two minutes. Again, a guy's got to look to. I mean, you got a lot of guys on the on the Raptors that don't. They don't have a, a whole pile of playoff experience in on that team. A little bit, but uh, you know they're and definitely in Toronto for sure. Maybe you got some yeah. guys on that that have seen some playoffs, but they haven't seen them as. Uh, and it's a little different. Uh, I know they talked to a couple of uh, like Vince Carter was one, and I think the other one was. Um, uh, who was the other guy who played big in Toronto and left? Uh, Bosch. Wasn't DeRozan, was it? Or Bosch? No, okay. Bosch. And they were saying, you know, it's a little harder to play in Toronto because you're so like there's nobody, there's there's nothing else. You know, there's there's not a team, you know, an hour down the road or or in the in the province. I mean, there's not even one in the country. So the the there's a different kind of a. Uh, I don't know how to, you know, like, I don't want to say pressure. Basically, basically, you're all in on the Raptors. 
you're yeah, all in. If you're a basketball fan in Canada and you like Toronto, well, that you've got that thing under a magnifying glass of, you know, I guess I would equate it maybe to, I don't know if there's a basketball equivalent, but maybe like playing for the Yankees was at one time in baseball where it didn't matter. They got the press 24 yeah. seven. If there's a basketball story in Canada, it's got something to do with the Raptors. And if it doesn't, they probably, it doesn't really get covered or very yeah. little. So, you yeah. know, it is a different kind of a beast. And like I said, they looked disinterested in game one, but they sure uh, game two was a whole different uh, song and dance. Yeah, DJ Augustine makes the game-winning three-point shot with 3.4 seconds left to give the Orlando Magic a win uh, to lead the series. But then game two in Toronto, boy, what a difference a game makes. Uh, 111-82 the final. The the Raptors just run through the Magic. Um, Uh, Leonard took a lot of heat. Actually, he didn't take the heat. The franchise took the heat that – what is this like if you look at his minutes? Okay, we're in the playoffs yeah. now. This guy has got to play 40-plus. And if he can't, then somebody should be saying that he can't and why he can't instead of this, you know, load management. Okay, they load managed him the whole season. If he can't play yeah, a playoff game once, you know, if he can't play a playoff game once every two or three nights, it's not like they're playing back-to-backs or anything crazy like that anymore. If he can't do that's that, then, he, then that's cause for concern. And as a fan, I'd want to know that. Because I don't want to give the guy static if he doesn't really have it coming. You know, if he is actually hurt to some degree and needs that time off, well, that's a, you know, well, then i got to wonder, too, why they bother trading for him and all that. That's a whole other ball of wax. But, um he went out there in game two and said, that's enough of that nonsense. And, and it was a beat down in game two, but like I said, he took, they oh, took yeah. a lot of, heat. they took a lot of heat for not playing him enough and why their superstars didn't really, uh, maybe not didn't show up in game one, but didn't show up the way they should have let's put it that way. Well, absolutely. Uh, Leonard had 37 points and he shot a great percentage, 68% from the field. Siakam had 19 and 10. Kyle Lowry bouncing back from his uh, rough game one. He had 22 and 7 with four rebounds and two steals and a block. He was just all over the place. Shot 61% from the field. The Raptors dominate game two. The Orlando Magic struggled in game two. Aaron Gordon had 20. Vucevic was a non-factor. 6.6 rebounds. Uh, Terrence Roth, 15. Evan Fournier with 10. But if you look at game one and the turnover there, Gordon had 20 in the loss. If you go back here in the first game, Gordon had 10. Vucevic had 11. The scoring was so balanced. Michael Carter-Williams had 10 in game one. Terrence Ross had 10. Augustine with 25. Fournier with 16. Vucevic with 11. Gordon with 10. Jonathan Isaac had 11. Well, Six game, guys. Yeah, and in Six game two, in double that figures. Gordon had 20. Um Ross had 15, I believe, and I think somebody else had 10. And everybody Fournier, else was Fournier had 10. DJ Augustine. Everybody else was single digit. DJ Augustine had just an atrocious night, nine points, and he only uh, shot 16% from the field. Uh, but not a team low as Jonathan Isaac one up team and shot 12.5% from the yeah, field. Look at those, just a horrible night for the Mets. Yeah, look at those plus minus numbers. Oh, for yeah, the plus minus. For their starters rough. were too. God awful. 
I would yeah, like minus to see that one for uh, Fournier. I'd like to see the numbers for that game on the uh, Goldstein. It's Goldstein, right? Yeah. I'd like to see them on his uh, on his projection. What what how that yeah, looked? The, the player the player impact plus minus. I would yeah, I would actually uh, like to see that. I'd have to go look that up. See if I can. I do see he on uh, a plug for him. He has been tweeting some of his uh, his projections versus the results, and he's been doing pretty darn well. <laughs> oh yeah, the man knows. He knows his stuff. Uh, there was another surprise from game from the first night of playoff action, but I kind of want to save that because we may, if if we can get the man on on the line, we may be hearing from him soon uh, about the 76ers and Nets series. So we'll save that a minute. Uh, we're going to bounce over here and we're going to talk about. Let's just go ahead and dive in. Pistons Bucks. Uh, this doesn't look like this is going to be much of a series. Blake Griffin is hurt and. You know, there's really nobody that can well, step they, in. Even with Griffin, they had they had a long shot. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they crawled there into the playoffs. I mean, they were not. They didn't, you know, they didn't come in on fire to start with, with injuries and not playing well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they they got no answer for for Milwaukee. Yeah. None. Yeah, the Greek, the Greek freak. His first first playoff game. 24 points, 17 rebounds, four assists. Just I mean, it's un- it's nice and he already only minutes. Milwaukee has put up 40 points in the first quarter tonight already. Yeah. Well, yeah. 38, 20, okay. 38 26 after the first. So, I mean, that doesn't and bode. The Bucks, led, <laughs> the Bucks never trailed in game one, and they led by as many as 43 points in the ball game. So, if you're a Pistons fan, hey, you made it. That's about probably all you're going to get. So well, to be to be honest, can, can you really? I mean, with that lineup, how it is right now, can you really expect anything more than that? No, I think losing Griffin really. that's, a, that's a blow. That's a huge blow, and you know Detroit's going to have some cap space open up. Uh, maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll turn in and pull somebody in. We'll see what happens in the off season, but without I mean, Blake they Griffin, they were only a 500 team to start with. Yeah, I mean, and without not, Blake Griffin, there's just no hope. I mean, I don't we look think at even sports, even right? with him, I don't think they yeah, exactly. They but but without him, they definitely don't. Yeah, I agree. Uh, without him, there's no chance. Really, they trail by 11 at the end of the first quarter of their game tonight uh, against Milwaukee. Uh, let's go ahead and go back to Sunday. Some more games we want to talk about. Uh, Houston and Utah. Houston with the big W there, 122-90 to 90 over the Jazz. Uh, Gobert had a nice night. Mitchell had a good night. But, uh, man, oh, man, Houston. James Harden, 29-8-10. Eric Gordon with 17. Capella had 16. Paul with 14. This is this is going to be a series, Tim. That I, I don't think it's going to go long. And Rachel, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Uh, she I, messaged me and asked me if the Rockets were really that good. I said, Yeah, well, they are. Yeah. Well, they, <laughs> they have, Utah doesn't have an answer for him. They don't. They don't. And that's, they, they, they don't, they don't have an offense. That. Yeah, they don't have an offensive answer, and they don't have a defensive answer. Um. I firmly believe that if I was to face the Rockets, I think I'd put – and they don't do it. 
I think I put a guy on him and I bump him. I try to do something to get him off his game. I don't know you if it would work something. or not, but the way they defend him now is, well, they're not. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah. there's a guy there, but he's not, as, as maybe we'll have uh-huh. some video evidence of that later on. Yeah, I mean, yeah we, we may be talking about that a little yeah, later. But I mean, <laughs> I mean we, you're talking about, like, that's the kind of player where I think you take your best defensive player, and if you don't have the ball, you tell him, you stick on him like glue as much as you can. Get in his face. Bump him when he's running up and down the court. Do something. Cheat, trash talk him. He's killing us anyway. So yeah. if it doesn't work, we, we lose nothing. But maybe we can get under his skin and get him off his game a little bit because, I mean, if you, I mean, if that keeps up, that's going to be a 4-0. Yeah, and uh, probably not going to be one of the, the more fun series to try to watch. I mean, and, I yeah. mean, I think I think the world of Rachel Miller, even though she doesn't know me, I think she's a great <laughs> girl and all the rest. But dear, I just I can't. I mean, anyone who would model a shirt for us is way up there in my books. But I mean, we're talking about a 32 point beatdown in Game One, 20 points in the fourth quarter, 20. I mean, yeah. you're not. You just aren't going to win. I mean. I said, and and they don't. I think after game one, when they talked about it, they didn't have an answer, like not even like any kind of answer. Well, you know, he's really good. Well, okay, we all, we all already, you know, like this is no. You're only just figuring that out now. I mean, we already all knew that. You had to know. As I mean, and I don't don't want to knock uh, Coach Snyder either, but no, I mean, no, they, no. But they, I mean, did they have a plan for him? If they did, it certainly didn't work. Well, they did. It just, maybe back to the drawing board. But, you know, we uh, talked about that series. But wait a minute. 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 Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we're joined by, right now, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Tom Robinson, TR Shock. What's up, TR? What's up, boys? I'm in a in the mo- on the mobile phone. Let's put it that way tonight for a, for a quick check in. Well, we said you were definitely covering the, uh, the Sixers. We said you were covering the Sixers for the Delco Welcome Center pamphlets at the gas station there in Philly. So we wanted to make sure that we got your call in so we could uh, get your update here. You saw Game One. You saw the results of game two. Give us give us an update here. What's what's up in the world of seventy sixer? Uh I think game two flipped them around a bit and both teams realized that they're playing the fucking Nets. The Nets looked in the mirror and said, Oh, we're the fucking Nets. And <laughs> you know, they may get one in Brooklyn just because the Sixers are jerk offs, you know what I mean? Because Ben Simmons could disappear fucking quicker than uh, Chris Angel at any time. But, you know, and big boys hardies, you know, load management. Is that term national or is it just here in Philly about it? Oh, no. No, That's a national term. Leonard is is being load managed up here in Toronto, too. So we're not quite sure what it means, but that's what they're doing. 
I always I thought load take... management was when you jerked off too much. Oh, there you go. You, you stole my oh, well, Or not enough. Yeah. I I I used to uh, manage my tissue boxes, but you know, bi-weekly for load management. But anyway, hey. um, <laughs> but yeah, Joel Embiid is uh, ears, probably man. probably more hurt than than he lets on. It's probably not rest, but he is he, he's either a little bit banged up or he's out of shape because. Um, well, what did you what did you think about when they asked him about his elbow and he laughed? Did you like that swagger or not? Uh, he's producing so much that he's hard not to like anymore. I mean, I it took me a while to get used to his arrogance, but he, he you know, when he can throw up thirty five and twenty two any given night, then I guess you earned a little cockiness. But Fair Ben enough. Simmons is Ben Simmons is uh, number two on my list behind Fultz is the biggest douchebag ever. Um yeah, he got a triple double in game two, and he actually drove to the rim in the beginning of the game. So, I guess he should get a fucking participation trophy. But he's an all star. He's an all world alleged transgender talent, as I said, whatever they call him. I'd fucking trade him in a hot minute um, for any decent point guard, and we wouldn't be in this position. And as I always said from the beginning of the year. J.J. Redick had a little comeback in game two, but first game, his legs looked tired as shit. The man's like 52 years old. Put him away. Take him out back and shoot him in the head. Jeez. <laughs> well, now, that is now, the Philadelphia style of management, to shoot him in the head. <laughs> well, I, I sure – have you heard – You, I believe you mentioned Jared Dudley's comments, did you not? Have you mentioned that? No, I didn't hear him. Oh, you didn't hear what Jared Dudley had to say. Okay. This has been an ongoing hot-button issue now, especially the past day and a half, two days or so. I've been up on this. So uh, I believe I tagged you in this, TR, if I'm not mistaken, on Twitter. Um, let me let me find it real quick. But Jared Dudley had some comments, and he made them about Ben Simmons. Uh, Jared Dudley said, if I can find it here, uh, I believe he said if you look at Ben Simmons, uh, he's a great transitional player, but one-on-one, he's just average. And that was, uh, I believe, let me find, I'm trying to find the exact quote here. I don't remember where I saw it, but this has been all over the place on social media, and apparently that was an interview done and, and things like that here. Um, but, yeah, apparently that's been a uh, a hot-button issue so far this season uh, with, with those comments. Um, if I can find them here, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, here we go. Ben Simmons is a great player in transition, but once you get him into the half court, he's average. That's Jared Dudley's quote. That's the quote. Well, I can't argue with Dudley. I mean, it's not like he's proved Dudley wrong in any particular game ever. Um, from 10 feet, he looks I to agree. give it to other people. Yeah. Um, if if they win, uh, you know, and get past the second round, which is really a big hurdle, but it will be in spite of Ben Simmons unless he has a complete turnaround and starts playing uh, a different way. Excuse the noise there. That was my uh, my wonderful fiance knocked over the trash can. Uh, you mentioned Ben Simmons, so the trash can fell over. So you know, maybe an omen there. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> it's okay, honey. Don't worry about it. Uh, ben Simmons and J.J. Redick both finished minus 21 in that freaking game one. Game two, Joel Embiid minus 17. Uh, and the the Nets win. You know, you had a big game out of D'Angelo Russell, 26 points. Karis LeVert, 23 points. Uh, and, and here's a blast in the past. Ed Davis. Ed Davis, 12 points and 16 rebounds. What a game from Ed Davis, man. Plus 28, leading the game in the plus minus, plus 28. Ed Davis, that's a name you don't hear often. No, no, but that's that's just another. Go ahead. Then game two rolls around. You fixing the trash can, honey. (laughs) Game two rolls around. And you were right, K Fabe, yes. Game two rolls around and Dinwiddie has nineteen, Russell has sixteen, uh, Hollis Jefferson fifteen, Lavert thirteen, Shabazz Napier thirteen, but nobody else really makes a big difference. But you look all over here, TR, you mentioned it. Simmons with the triple double, eighteen, ten, and twelve. Tobias Harris has nineteen. Jimmy Butler did not play very well. Seven points, seven assists, four rebounds. But the Sixers run away with the win. And tied the series up one one forty five one twenty three. Now the question becomes: Butler had to go off in game one, and they lose. He had thirty six in game one. Game two, he doesn't do much of anything, and they win. What do you think about that? Well, what, what I did see about uh, in game two, he, he had four right off the bat in the first quarter. He just kind of feels out the game. I know you're not a big fan of him personally, but. Uh, he's willing to take over a step back and it wasn't really, they shut him down or anything, or he didn't, you know, the first game he looked around at what he, what his guys were playing like. And he said, uh, I guess these guys want me to take over. And he, you know, kept them in the game. Um, second game from what I saw, I didn't see the whole, every possession, but he kind of fell back because uh goofball Simmons was actually doing playing the right way for most of the time. And, you know, spreading the ball around and Tobias Harris, we had a Tobias Harris sighting in game two. He disappeared like for the last three weeks of the season. And he came in, I think I said it last week. He came in like a house of fire. looked like the trade was a steal. And he just, uh, maybe he has some issues, you know, mentally fitting in as a third, fourth option when he thinks he's a one or should be a one or whatever. But uh, it was good to see him score everybody back in the, you know, positive. I think they'll drop one in Brooklyn just because that's what the Sixers do. But other than that, Sixers and six, it's just a matter of who they play next. Well, they have game three tomorrow night in Brooklyn. Uh, That's going to be a really big uh, game there. Then I believe game four is Saturday at three o'clock Eastern. So got, we'll have at least, we should know the, the winner of this series by next week because if the games uh, somehow it, it if it goes to game six, we game six is next Thursday. If we go that far, game five will be on Tuesday next week. So we're we definitely are getting that game next week at least Tuesday night. So we'll see what that brings. But I think we're going to see at least six games in that series. Um, Tim, I'll tell you. I should I should mention before you jump to Tim. I, I should mention right. uh, high high five to Boban. Fucking dude comes in and and the dopes in this city complain that he shouldn't be getting minutes when Embiid's out. 
and he does nothing wrong. I mean, he's a he's a big presence, and the fucking guy doesn't miss. I mean, you know, say what you want about his appearance and whatnot, and you know, he may not be a starting NBA center, but the dude's effective. So this city's just full of idiots. That's all. Tim, what's your thoughts? On to Mr. Dumbrava, yeah. You you had a lot to say about the Sixers. Go. You know, I've been thinking, I've been mulling it over. And at the beginning of the year, when they would pull their shenanigans and all the crap was going on that was going on in Philadelphia, you know, and I was going, you know, that's the gift that keeps giving. There's always somebody doing something stupid there. I'm starting to wonder, though, if the switch has not been flipped from a little bit anyway from childish arrogance to professional, we're just that good and we'll act this way because we want to, if that makes sense. You know, with the phone on the the phone on the phone bench and the laughing about elbowing the guy in the head and all that stuff. Last year, we would have crucified them for that. And now I'm starting to think, well, you know, well, I don't agree with any of it. Um, is, is it. Has there been a little bit of a culture shift there that, we do these things because not just because we're immature, but because we're good and we'll do what we want. Well, they had the phone out on the sidelines in the middle of a home playoff game in which they were losing. So uh, I think that's a little ridiculous. And if I'm the coach or the GM, I, I would be too, but it really great. Kind of went, it kind of was blown over with like, well, you know, that's just the 76ers. It's what they do. And, you know, and then they went out and cleaned house the next night. So, you know, does anybody really care? If they, I suppose, well, I mean, if the results are there, does it really matter? Yeah, and all due respect, I really uh, dislike people who use their cell phones on work time. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> okay, but that is that is mere mortals like professional sports guys. Well, that, that is... Uh, Here, here's it, it, now if they get on their phone at practice or during a team meeting, that's one thing. But this is during the game. To me, this is like getting your phone out at a major meeting in front of your, you know, in front of major clients and bosses. You don't do that when there's national television looking right at you. And you're lo- if you're winning never, by thirty, okay. But you're down and you're on your phone on the sideline. Come on, it should never be out there in the first. Place. Yeah, why is your phone even out there? Who cares? You should, yeah, Deal with it, it later. Be, yeah, there should be nothing going on that can't wait till the half or whatever. But I, I, I just feel that, uh, that some of their – what I used to call immaturity has maybe become swagger. And, well, this is like, remember LeBron James when, it came, when he was making the playoffs? <laughs> um, he would delete all of his social media during playoff time so he could focus. All his social media would go away. And, you know, like the man or not, I kind of agree with that mindset. Yeah, that's a young, you know, we got, we got business. What are you guys doing on the sidelines? I mean, you, on your, you look at the difference, you know. Nate, between, uh, I mean, Tom and I being older, how much we use our phones compared to how much you use yours. And then drop, yours down, okay, and then drop yours down another t- to, a, to a 20-year-old. Most, they were born with phones. Like, that, but for them, that is... I don't even know what to equate it to in my life. I could care less. My I don't even have a cell phone, believe it or not. We have a family one, and that's it. Because I don't need to be, and I know, and I know Tom would just as soon most days probably throw his away. Absolutely. <laughs> I fucking hate talking on the phone. 
because it, there's nothing that I need to know that's going on that badly that I can't wait a couple of minutes. But, um, you know, with all due, I keep saying with all due respect because I'm, you know, in a huff and a rush, but uh, that isn't what I wanted to phrase that with. Um, it, the word on the street, I mean, I, this is not confirmed. This is just a hot take going around, is that Amir Johnson, the, the guilty party um, who was showing Joel Embiid his phone on the bench, was saying that Weidman can't jump's a great show here. Check out this link. So I can't well, be too angry. Yes, I can't be mad either. Hey, when you, when you put I that thought one. you were going to say that they were like ordering up hookers and blow, which I couldn't like really hold against them either. Well, well that would be the Pistons. Joel Embiid was probably getting Joel Embiid was probably getting an Uber because he doesn't drive. He was trying to get an Uber for after the game. But either way, um, Tr, my friend, I know you're a busy man. Thank you for checking in on the Sixers for us. One thing I do want to ask you: What's up with our Thunder, dude? They're down two zero. Here we had them going uh, far. The series is not over, but there must be some personality problems there because the talent's, well, you know, obviously still there. Well, we, we I don't know. There must be something we don't know. George is hurt. Jay McBride uh, from uh, the Nug- – he's a Nuggets beat writer, and he told us apparently George might have some uh, shoulder problems uh, some, going on. some scapular imbalance going on apparently. Yeah, some kind of fault injury or something, but it, it seems legit. Oh, boy. Yeah, it could <laughs> well, be really – Except he has an actual physical injury. It's not in his head. Yeah. And he's still playing. <laughs> so. Well, I, I, you know, I jotted some notes for game one, and I still got the DVR game two. So I'll be caught up in a – someday, some way, I'll write a column about the Sixers playoffs. But uh, as for now, gentlemen, yeah. thank you. I will be back thank soon. You, and carry the torch. Go save the world, man. Go do your thing. Thank you, PR. TR joining us here on Wide Men Can't Jump. Happy to have him back covering the Sixers, giving us some updates. And, you know, that's cool of him to do so. He's a busy guy. I know he's working, but he he was able to jump on here and break some stuff down for us. an international man of mystery. Indeed. Speaking of international and speaking of men, let's go to our other sponsor, Cambay.com. Whoa. Are you sick of the boring, same old campsites with the same old girls and the same boring content? Well, now's your chance to jump over to a brand new website called cambay.com. C-A-M-B-A-E.com. When you're on Cambay, whatever you want and whatever you desire is right at your fingertips. Be sure to join right now and use promo code WIDEMEN to get 20 free credits on cambay.com. Use those credits to go towards whatever your fantasy is and make sure that you know cambay.com wants to make you as happy as you can be. Be sure to join right now. Again, it's cambay.com, C-A-M-B-A-E.com. And unlike college, it's not going to take you guys 20 free credits to finish. So join cambay.com right now. Use promo code WIDEMAN and get your free credits. And again, thanks to our great sponsors, Cambay.com. I assumed you had something there, but you had nothing. So here we oh, are. Oh, well, I, I was, 
I, I was leaning towards something along the website you can use with one hand, but I didn't get it out quick enough. <laughs> well, we're not going to dive into that. But <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, checking in, Tim, I know uh, nothing's changing here. The website here at your ranked game. number one by left-handed people. Yes, indeed. Um, quick update here, Tim. You know, we here we were talking all that smack about Detroit. They're only down five in the second half. Uh, they took off but the real did. story. The real story here is right now, if you're watching, the Boston Celtics and Indiana Pacers are having a hell of a game, and Boston just took a two point lead with five they, minutes they, to go. The Pacers in the ball were game. winning that one. That third quarter was twenty nine to sixteen Pacers. So, yeah, no, so they uh, were Celtics up, but Boston has come back. Celtics on a 16-3 run in the fourth, so. Yeah. Well, speaking of the Celtics, Tim, let's just go ahead and get to it. I talked with John Corellis. So, while the Celtics and Pacers finish up, let's dive in and hear my talk with him as we talk about the Celtics. You know, John Corellis, a great coverage man for MassLive.com. Uh, Nick Hoff turned me on to him, so thank you, Nick, out there. And uh, every time John comes on, I try to give Nick a shout-out. So, John Carell's host Red's Army and Locked on Celtics. And uh, Nick may actually be joining us here soon in another venture that we'll talk about later. But let's go ahead right now and go to my conversation with John Carellis, and we'll be back on the other side to talk some more NBA playoffs. We'll roll the tape, Nate. Joining us on the show yet again is the Celtics' lead beat writer for MassLive.com, host of Locked On Celtics on the Locked On NBA podcast family, and the co-founder of Red's Army, John Corellis. John, thanks for jumping back on with us again. It's my pleasure. Happy to do it. Well, we're going to talk Boston Celtics basketball here as if there was any surprise there. Uh, the Celtics we in the No. I know. Here you thought we were talking Boston Bruins. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, um, right. Jeez. Go Blue Jackets. But anyway, we're going to talk, <laughs> talk a little Celtics basketball here. The Boston Celtics uh, win game one against the Indiana Pacers at home in when this interview airs, game two will be going on. So we're going to go ahead and just talk about game one. The Celtics outscore the Pacers 26-8 to in the third quarter. But, John, they only win by 10, and it was a very low-scoring affair. That third quarter, what clicked that helped the Celtics really put the pedal down on the Pacers? Uh, a couple of things. Uh, for the Celtics, Kyrie Irving and Al Horford started playing well, which was not happening in the first half. They really didn't do much in the first half. Al Horford was uncharacteristically bad. And, and not – like I shouldn't say bad. He just wasn't good in the first half. And a lot of the passes he was making were getting tipped. Uh, shots weren't falling. It was, it was weird. It was a weird Al Horford half. Uh, but he established himself on the post uh, and, and got a couple of baskets in and one. And Kyrie started making shots. I think it was like three of 10 or something in the first half. That, that combination is just not going to help the Celtics do much of anything. So those guys started making shots. Indy started missing shots, and watching the first five minutes or so of that game, that third quarter, Indy had opportunities 
to hit a couple of baskets. They, they missed a couple. Then they started to kind of fall into some of the, the traps that the, the Celtics were, were kind of setting for them and settling for certain shots and pressing a little bit, going for shots that they probably shouldn't have taken. Or they could have worked for better shots. And the combination of everything just led to a, a disaster of a third quarter. So the Celtics ramped up their defense. They got very physical. They took advantage of, you know, the playoff officiating where they let a lot more go. And that's, that's right in the Celtics' wheelhouse. And, and one thing that we don't really talk about this year, we haven't talked about this year, is among all of the things that have bothered the Celtics, those freedom of movement rules at the beginning, I think, had a big impact. And the Celtics' defense that had struggled, I think it struggled partly because they were kind of struggling to figure out those, how to play defense without being able to grab and hold and all of that stuff. Now the defense is, is getting a little bit better because the, the playoff officiating is a little, bo- a little bit more uh, allowing of more physical play. You can kind of get away with bodying up a guy and, and, and using your hands a little bit more. So there's, there, there's an element of that that's, I think, frustrating for the Pacers and it allows the Celtics to be a little bit better defensively. Yeah, and the Celtics played very well the other night uh, in that third quarter. But, you know, you talk about Al Horford. He had 10 points, 11 rebounds. Started off a little slow, but actually finished, if you uh, are a believer in the analytics and the plus-minus, Al Horford finished at plus 20, which was a team best mm-hmm. and, I believe, a, a game high. And it was a game high plus 20 uh, for Al Horford. But looking at a player who probably needs to step up a little more, Jalen Brown, only two points, five mm-hmm. rebounds. He played 27, almost 28 minutes. He's really struggled, not just here in game one, but he's really been down this season compared to what he was last year. Not saying he's not a good ball player because he is, but it seems like he still hasn't defined his role in this Celtics offense. What What's Jalen Brown got to do to improve here as the Celtics look to go deeper into the playoffs? So I'm a believer right now in this season on this team that Jalen Brown is better off the bench. He has off the bench. He's been pretty good. He, he had the end of the season, the last couple months of the season have been his best and shooting great and playing great. I like Jalen Brown as a guy who can feel comfortable attacking, feel comfortable in his role, feel, feel good as a, a, I, I, would, I don't want to say primary option, but a, a higher option than what he was. That you had Kyrie, Al, Jason Tatum on the floor all together with, with him and Aaron Baines. And I think it's one too many mouths to feed right now. Maybe another summer of these guys understanding how they fit can get them into, if they are all on the same team by next year, can get them more on the same page. But right now, I feel like him and Gordon Hayward are a much better pairing off the bench. And so I think the answer for Jalen Brown, for him playing better, is not to start him and give him those minutes off the bench. The other side of it, though, is 
he did do a, a fine job on Bogdanovich, and Boyan Bogdanovich had 12 points in the game, was really a non-factor, and and so there's a there's a give and take. If, as long as you outscore the other team, it doesn't matter how many points you score. You know, so if you if you score 50 and you hold the other team to 45, congratulations, you win. I, I, very, I still think that. Yeah, so I, I feel like my my plan would be to start Shemi Ojale in instead of Jalen Brown because Ojale doesn't need the ball and he's very willing to put all of his effort on defense and you can still play Brown the exact same amount of minutes just redistribute them at a different time of the game and have him as a closer and and but still have him coming off the bench where he can feel more comfortable and he's attacking bench players as opposed to the five guys who are most effective on the Pacers and they're not very deep on their bench. So I would say my move to improve the Celtics offense without taking a big dip on defense is to start Ojale in game two. I wanted him to start in game one and, and let Brown kind of go back to his role that he's been comfortable with and he's been good with this season. Yeah, you've got an article up right now. There's a link to it on your Twitter page. Uh, if anybody's wanting to check that out about uh, Amojale, uh, I hope I got that right. I know you just pronounced it, but I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a tough Jimmy one Ojale. for us. Ojale, okay. Tough for us West Virginia guys sometimes. But if you look at the scoring, again, it doesn't really matter because the Celtics did win this game. They won by 10. The scoring breakdown during this ball game, the Celtics were outscored two out of the four quarters. One quarter, they tied. Is that a little mm-hmm. worrisome moving forward? I know they had the big quarter um, where they outscored. They outscored by 18, the Pacers, and that makes the difference in the ball game. But if you look at it, at halftime, the Celtics trail at home. They come out, they have the big third. But then the Celtics outscored them second and fourth quarter. Granted, by one in the fourth, and it was kind of garbage time. But Celtics did give up a 22-point lead, and, you know, Indiana did only lose by 10 even after that horrible quarter. Is that a cause for concern? No, well, no. I, I think you got to look at when that lead kind of evaporated, that the, the Celtics really, really relaxed over the last few minutes. Um, it was 80-62. to 62. Uh, I'm sorry, it was, uh, let's see, 84-62, so it was a 22-point lead with 3.34 to go. And then uh, Wanamaker came in for Kyrie Irving, and then uh, Robert Williams came in for Aaron Baines, and it was garbage time. So I'm not going to look at that 21-24 quarter for the Pacers, and it's something that, you know, talking to Thad Young, he said, look, we tied them in the first quarter, we beat them in the second quarter. We beat them in the fourth quarter. Like, you didn't really beat them in the fourth quarter. Like, you did technically, but you were down 22 when Brad Stevens started throwing in his his subs. And that's more indicative. Like, that last three minutes of the game when it was clearly over and there was no real threat of, of the Pacers scoring 20 points in three minutes, that the, the final margin didn't matter. So, to me – 
I look at this as more of a 20-point win than a 10-point win because what made it close was complete garbage and, and not really any of any significance. It, they, they just they got lazy, scrubs were in, that's it. So my concern is more of the first quarter where the Celtics came out sloppy, looking a little bit lazy, where they came out and, and made a lot of the same mistakes that they had been making when we were thinking, hey, look, these are the playoff Celtics now. We've been promised something different, and they came out kind of, I don't know, flat maybe. Indiana certainly played well. The Celtics kind of cooperated in the first quarter. Uh, They made a run, thankfully, that Marcus Morris got hot, and they were able to tie it. But uh, I'm looking at that first half, the second quarter, tough shooting, uh, a couple of adjustments, a little bit more effort, a little bit more, a little bit less Terry Rozier. I'm, I'm still, I'm still out on Terry Rozier this season. So, I think if, if Brad Stevens, a court now, I'm, I'm going back to the Ojale thing, because it allows the rest of the rotations to, to play in, in concert with one another, and you can reduce the roles of other guys like. Terry Rozier, you don't have to have them in there, and and you can run second units that have, quote-unquote second units, that have starters in them. And so I just, I think there are some adjustments the Celtics can make. They held the Pacers to 74 points. It's okay if you give up a couple more, and you'll, you'll hold them to 84 points. I think the Celtics can go out there and put up 110, 115 with, with relative ease. The Pacers are physical. They're a tough defensive team, but I think the Celtics have a formula that will allow them to continue to rain points down because I just don't trust the Pacers bench to be able to stop the Celtics. Just a couple of tweaks with the lineups, and and we can see in game two if the Celtics are are willing to put forth the effort, a a more comfortable game. Yeah, I'll agree with you. I, I picked the Celtics to win this series. Um, I think they're just going to be too much for the um, the Pacers, who are kind of injury ridden here, a little bit in the playoffs. No old depot hurts. I actually took uh, Boston in in five over Indiana, mm-hmm. and I, I think that will still be the case. You know, maybe Indiana can steal one at home, but I don't see them beating the Celtics four times. Um, but is eighty four points enough? That's the real question. Granted, it was enough no. to beat. Indiana, but is it enough in playoff time when teams are really out there stepping it up? No, no. They, they need to find a better balance here that um, they can score. They, they can score. And, if, and this is, again, why I don't want Jalen Brown in the first unit because I like him as a scorer in the second unit. They can score. Space out that scoring so you have guys that are willing to attack and able to attack freely without worrying about other guys on the, on the team getting their own shots or, or spreading, spreading things too thin. I think they can get back to Jalen Brown on the bench, Hayward off the bench, even if it means starting Marcus Morris. I, I don't know. Some, somebody else than Jalen Brown. Uh, I would rather see that. If they can just spread that out, they can do enough defensively that slows – the Pacers down, and, and it, it just the key to the Celtics scoring 115 
is when Kyrie and Horford go to the bench, you've got two dynamic scorers still on the floor that you can run with Aaron Baines and and have it still be just more points on points on points, like no drop-off. The problem, one problem that Celtics had in this game is when Kyrie and Al Horford left the floor together, oh, man, the offense went off a cliff. And maybe, maybe the answer is you don't take both of them off the floor together, that you find a way to keep one of those guys on the floor at the same time. But there, there needs to be some sort of offensive option if Brad Stevens does that. And, and I would rather see that pairing of Hayward and, and Brown together. And I think they can be potent. Who do you think the Celtics are going to look to in game – or, excuse me, let me rephrase that. Who do you think the Pacers are going to look to in game two to step up on offense? Because nobody really is a bright spot on uh, this squad in game one. Bogdanovich and Corey Joseph are the only players to finish in double figures. Um, Poor shooting percentages all around here. I'm looking at Tyreek Evans is 27%. I'm looking – just just some really, really rough shooting nights for a lot of people. Um, so the defense was definitely there for Boston in game one. But who are they going to have to key on? Who's going to be the guy that you think the Pacers are going to lean on? Is it a Miles Turner? Is it a, a Wes Matthews? Is it Darren Collison? Is it Bogdanovich, the bonus? Who's going to be the guy the Celtics need to key on in the next game? Well, look, it's it, without Oladipo, they lean on Bogdanovich. And if, you, if Bogdanovich isn't scoring, then the Pacers are not scoring. And even if another guy kind of gets hot, there's, there's nobody on that team that should be so hot, so sustainably hot that they will beat you. And if that happens in a game, even if they are, I'm fine. Uh, you, those guys, Darren Collison is not going to carry the Pacers to a win, uh, a series win. So... I would think just go with the quote-unquote head of the snake, and that's Bogdanovich. Keep keeping him uncomfortable. Keep him off balance. Make it so he's really, really searching for his offense, and, and just let him try to take over. The strength of the Pacers is in their numbers, and they, they kind of need not only Bogdanovich to score, but they need a democratic type of offense where everybody's kind of passing and ball movement, everybody's got a chance to score. I think if you are able to limit the other guys and you focus on Bogdanovich and you just make him work really, really hard to try to search for his own offense. So you take away the passing lanes, you just let him try to work really hard, and, and if he scores 20, okay, but make it like 20 points on 8 of 20 shooting. Make him be inefficient. And I think that will be the thing to do. Um, and the other thing that they really need to key on is Sabonis off offensive rebounds or pick and rolls. Just just keep him off. Keep him away from the rim. Keep Sabonis away from the rim and, and key, on, uh, key on Bogdanovich and there's your, there's your defense. Everything else, there's, uh, there's no other real threat that, that can be sustainable for the Pacers. Yeah. Uh, speaking of snakes, Kyrie's comments about being the snake, uh, what do you make of that? What do you make of Kyrie's comments? Because there was some fun with it on Twitter, people, you know, posting about the snake. And 
what, what do you think about Kyrie's comment? Was that was that his head of the snake comment? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean he's whatever. Kyrie, Kyrie's going to say a lot of things. If you if you really watch Kyrie's news conference, like my challenge to anybody who listens to this and reacts to Kyrie quotes on Twitter. That's fine. You know, you're free to do what you want. They're funny. And people really like to get their jokes off with them. But out of context, I can guarantee you, what you think Kyrie was trying to say is probably not what Kyrie was trying to say. And I'm not saying that in context, he's, he's always this misunderstood guy. What I'm saying is, Kyrie speaks in such a stream of consciousness kind of rambling way that if you watch the entire thing that he's trying to say, you'll, you'll leave shaking your head going, what? What was that? What? He said, what now? So I, I think the head of the snake comment was just him saying that he, he wants to, he's trying to be the leader of the team. Uh, I, I, don't, I haven't seen the jokes but I think that that's all he was going for. It's like, I'm trying to be the leader on this team. I'm trying to lead this offense. That's that's my take. But yeah, yeah a lot of people were a lot of people were making the a lot of people were making the Kobe comparisons. Of course, anytime you mention uh, a snake, okay. I mean, uh, and then of course some people were commenting on uh, you know with the he wants to be the snake with the guy from YouTube. You know, I'm a snake. You know that guy, but. Uh, <laughs> Well, one of them was me. Uh, but anyway, uh, I mean, like, Kyrie, is, but, Kyrie is great ammunition to get your jokes off. I, I'm not going to dispute that at all. But go ahead. And well, I will say, I will say, it's, it's glad. I will say, as a, if you're a Celtics fan, that's got to be good to hear because I've been questioning whether he really wanted to be a, a pure number one leader for a while, especially with some of the comments he's made about. You know, I'm not here for these interviews. I'm here to do my job. Yeah. Well, if you're the if you're the guy, Kyrie, it comes with the job. If you're going to be the guy in Boston with the Celtics, you got to do it. So that's just me. But nevertheless, um, Kyrie, you know, we'll see what happens moving forward. Last question, I'll let you go, and I appreciate you giving me some time. Who would you rather? See? I know you're you're probably going to see the Bucks. In round two, mm-hmm. uh, if if anything goes like game one did the other night, um, yeah. If if, if Boston gets to round two against the yeah really against the Bucks, um, do you like their chances? Do you think they can can really make some noise against Milwaukee? I I think it's going to be a, a hell of a series. I it's going to hurt not having Marcus Smart there if he's not able to go. Don't know what his full status is going to be for that series because it's still probably two, two and a half weeks away. So he may, I don't think he's going to be available for the full series. So that being said, I I think the Celtics are uniquely able to match up with the, the Bucks. They have Al Horford which really changes a lot of, of what the, the Bucks are going to be able to do because defensively they, they rely on Brooke Lopez to protect the rim a lot, and they funnel a lot of their defense towards him. Al Horford's going to pull him away. And unless they – like, I, I don't expect 
the Celtics to put Aaron Baines on the floor with Brooke Lopez because if you do, then Lopez can just guard Baines and that takes away the advantage. But if you just put Horford out there with uh, uh, like Marcus Morris or, or somebody, then Baines comes in off the bench and there's just one of those big rim-protecting defensive bigs out there all the time. And they can play some together, but my point is you can really change the calculus of Milwaukee's overall game plan just with Al Horford. And they have the length and the switchability to Giannis away from the rim entirely, but do it more often than other teams can. And just a little bit more than I think Milwaukee will be comfortable with. So it might come down to Giannis's ability to, to, and willingness to take open jumpers and drain open jumpers. He's added the three just a little bit. If he can make some of those shots, then Celtics are in real trouble. If he, if he misses those shots, then the Celtics have a chance. And if they get Marcus Smart in the middle of that series and everybody else is healthy, then it gets really, really interesting. So they, they will have a chance for sure. Well, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But, of course, we always like to look ahead a little bit when it comes to sports. But, John Corrales, thank you so much for jumping on. Uh, Let our listeners know where they can keep up with you and where to follow you at online. Yeah, my social media of choice is Twitter, and that's RedsArmy underscore John. You could always find my work at MassLive.com slash Celtics and on the Locked On Celtics podcast. Well, awesome. Thanks again, John, and uh, we may be getting a hold of you soon, sooner than we usually do. I know a lot of times we like to space out our guests, but with it being playoff time, I may be hitting you up again real soon to get you back on, sure. talk some more Celtics moving forward. You got it, my man. All right. Thanks again. We'll talk to you later. See ya. And that was my talk with John Corellis from MassLive.com and the founder of Red's Army. Tim, while we were away listening to John speak with me a couple days ago, Boston rallied from a 12-point deficit in the fourth quarter to win and beat Indiana 99-91. to This game was a lot closer than that final score um, suggests. If you were watching that, you have two things running through your head right now. One, how much do the Pacers miss Victor Oladipo? And two, what in the blue fuck was Wes Matthew shooting at? Those are the two questions going through your head right now. Well, I'm looking at the box score and going, what? I mean, I, I didn't watch the game, but what kind of a game has a uh, it's 52-50 at the half? Mm-hmm. In the third, the third quarter, 29-16 Pacers. Fourth quarter, 31-12 Celtics. Yeah, I mean it's that's the all. Celtics. I'm not. I'm going to say something that's going to upset a lot of our Celtics listeners. The Celtics have not lived up this year to the hype that was set. They have been di- disappointing at best. And I think many of our Celtics listeners will agree. 
unless the Celtics change heading forward, if they run into Milwaukee like I think they will, however Milwaukee is trailing right now to Detroit, believe it or not, after after much as we dogged them earlier, Milwaukee trails Detroit at home right now. Um, And actually they're back up, excuse me. They took the lead back, 67-61 as the game goes on. But they're not running away with it or anything yet. No, they're not running away with it. So I'm looking at it thinking – if Boston runs into that Milwaukee train, do they have enough to get the job done with the way they've been playing? I just don't think they do. Kyrie oh, Irving had 37. Look at the box score. Kyrie Irving yeah, had 37. Kyrie Irving and Tatum, and they got nothing else. Tatum had 26. Hayward, 13. That's about it. I mean, Jalen yeah. Brown had six. Uh, Horford had four. They got Granted, no uh, That's, I'd say, is their bigger problem. Horford had Horford had the ten rebounds, so that that was that was nice. But go ahead, I'm sorry. They don't they don't have a bench. They've got not much to go to there, and if they if their starting lineup doesn't get the job done, they're in trouble. Yeah, they played nine guys tonight, um, and, and you know John brought up uh, Semi Ajale there. That's and they didn't even play him tonight. He yeah, didn't even I mean, touch the court. There's some strange, you know, especially in a game that was as back and forth as this one. Like I'd like to, you know, it, it makes me wonder if they were playing so bad in the third quarter. Like, why wouldn't you? Although I guess the guys who did go out there did play some relatively heavy minutes for bench guys. Yeah, they did. I mean, Baines had 14 minutes off the bench. Uh, Morris, I think, got the start. But, you know, Brown, 26 minutes. Um, Daniel Thice, he he played uh, 13 minutes. They're leaning on, I mean, if Tatum and Irving don't get it done in whatever ways, the Celtics are in trouble. And that's okay in the first first round. Tatum went. Exactly. Tatum went 11 of 20 from the field. Irving went 15 of 26 from the field. Nobody else came. Nobody else shot more than eight shots. I mean, they accounted for not quite 65 percent of their score. Two guys. I mean, you, yeah. I mean, you're looking no, at 46, 46 shots of 84 shots taken. And you're looking at, if I do my math correctly, very quickly here, 26 made shots of the 40 shots that went in. So that's that's a big that's a big area there. And Boston's uh, supposed to be a little bit deeper than that. A little bit glaring, I would have to say. Um, On the other I'm side, a- though, you have Bogdanovich, who who proves to be just a great player. Um, Bojan Bogdanovic, he's really taken the reins in that leadership role for the for the Indianapolis or excuse me for the Indiana Pacers. Forty two percent tonight. He went four of eight from three. He was really their only source of offense down the stretch. Thad Young had fifteen. Collison had thirteen. Tyreek Evans had thirteen. The story of the night though, Wes Matthews, two of eight, and man, he only went two of six from three. Horrible shooting at the end of the game. Horrible shot selection from West Matthews. Um, you know, you got to go the hot hand. And Sabonis well, has been completely taken out of this series. Corey Joseph hasn't played well. So, who knows? 
if you're a Celtics fan, chew on this though for a moment. What's happening in this this game if Mr. Victor Oladipo is playing? The Celtics are losing. Celtics are losing. The Celtics are losing. In my opinion. So that, so that does not bode very well for the Celtics, period. And just no, no, it does not. Just so Boston can rub it in a little more, Boston just scored in an empty net and defeated Toronto 6-4. to four. Damn I'm it. sorry. But I'm that sorry. These things happen. Or the 2-2 now in that, that hockey series. That's 2-2, but they're paying for it because their Boston Red Sox suck this year so far. So, or, <laughs> well, sorry, Nick, sorry, Nick Hoff, but the Boston Red Sox. More on that later. Uh, well, we talked about just about every series so far, uh, Tim. We talked about Portland and Oklahoma City a little bit. Um you know, we haven't really got to dive deep, deep into a series, but let's talk about, you know, we talk, mentioned the Jazz Rocket series a little bit. That game getting ready to tip off here shortly. Uh, we suspect the Rockets not to struggle too much. But, man, how about this? 1-1 is the series right now, the Golden State Warriors and the L.A. Clippers. Game one went about, as you would expect, um, on uh, Saturday night. Warriors win 121-104 at home. Steph Curry, amazing game, 38 points, 15 rebounds, 7 assists. And he had a big, big game. Durant had 23. Uh, Draymond Green had 17. Clay Thompson with 12. So, typical night there for them. Uh, on the other side, on the other side, Shake. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, if I was to tell you uh, in game two of the first round, the Warriors will have a game where they give up 85 points and a half. I'd call you crazy. I would absolutely call you crazy. There would be no way in hell that would ever happen. I would call you absolutely crazy. And yet that's what happened in that game. We'll get there. We're going to get there in just a second. Uh, Gilgus Alexander had 18. Gallinari 15 in... The loss in game one, Montrez Harrell, the high man for them, 26 points. Lou Williams, a good night, 25. Jermichael Green at 10. All right, so that's not really the story here. Uh, game one went kind of according to according to the script. Game two, it looked to be more of the same. I went to bed. I went to bed at halftime because I said, okay, this one's over. Uh, big news, DeMarcus Cousins is down. He's done for the series. He's actually, it, it's reported, he's probably done for the playoffs. So the Warriors will only have four all-stars in the playoffs this year instead of three. So, yeah, poor guys. So Cousins looks like he's done for the series. He's done for the playoffs in general. You look at this, you look at this box score here. Also, we need to bring up Kevin Durant and Patrick Beverly both got tossed in game one. Because they kept jawing at each other. It was fantastic watching Patrick Beverly punk with Kevin Durant. I loved it. Patrick Beverly, thank you. And keep doing what you're doing out there, man. Keep fighting the good fight. That was fantastic. Um, game two, man, oh, man. You want to talk about a tale of two halves. The Clippers are down. You know, they give up 73 points in the first half. They're down 73 to 50. In the first half, they come out 
in the second half. They put up 44 in the third and 41 in the fourth. They were down 31 points and win. The Clippers come back and beat the Warriors. And they didn't just beat them. They beat them at they beat the Warriors in Golden State at Oracle. Do you know how hard that is to do? Man, what a win Gold, for the Clippers. Great win for the Clippers, but that being said, it might be the only one they get. Uh, it might be Lou Williams, 36 points, 11 assists. Harold, 25 points, 10 rebounds. Beverly with 10. Landry Shamet, I bet you miss him, Philly. 12 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals. Gallinari, 24 points. Gilgus Alexander had 4 with 5 assists and 4 steals. Jamichael Green had 13. They were getting scoring from everywhere. They could not miss in the second half. What a comeback from those guys. It was. It was a great comeback. Lots of lots of guts, lots of spirit. But I do not think I would want, I want to be the LA Clippers come uh, tomorrow night. I'm not I putting think. any money on the Clippers to win this series, but let me tell you what. There's a guy that I caught up with, okay? This is a guy, and he eats, sleeps, breathes Los Angeles Clippers. Okay? Caught up to him, eh? He is. He's a fan truth. He's a fan truth and a host for Dash Radio. Um, man, this guy, he believes the Clippers are poised to pull off the biggest upset in NBA history. I had a conversation with him. Shall we hear from my man, Flipper Daryl? Let's roll that tape and drink that Kool-Aid. All right, drink your Kool-Aid, folks. Clipper Daryl is up. Take a listen. Well, jumping on this episode of Wide Men Can't Jump right now is a Clippers super fan and host at Fan Truth and on Dash Radio. That is my man Clipper Daryl. Daryl, what is up, man? What's up, baby? Doing good. Excited about the NBA playoffs, but man, not as excited as you have to be as a Clippers fan. What a comeback against the Warriors last night as I actually went to sleep and the, the Clippers were down here on the East Coast. It was a little late, so I went to sleep, and I wake up to the unexpected. What, what was going through your mind during that amazing comeback by the Los Angeles Clippers? I mean, with Patrick Beverly, this team is, is unbelievable, man. Um, this team is very resilient, man. It hasn't it, – It's I call it never give up, man. They they had that never give up attitude, man, and that's what that's makes this team so special. I don't care if they down by 20, they down by 50. They would never give up. They fight all the way into the end of the game, man. So that comeback didn't surprise me because we 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 done it all year. But to see to see what they brought, to see it against a uh a, a championship team as the Warriors, oh man, it was unbelievable, man. It was priceless, man. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I, I was around, man. I had to jump on Twitter, man, and, 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 you know, my social media, man, and say, where my Warrior fans at? I can't hear you. <laughs> well, it was the largest comeback in playoff history. Gallinari had a great game with 24. Montrez Harrell, 25. Lou Williams, though, 36 points, 11 assists. Sweet Lou taking over. There were some big plays there by Gilgus Alexander and – you know, a lot of the, the young players for the Clippers really stepped up last night. What did you think spurred this 
this comeback? Where where did this come from? Because they put up, they're, they're down big at halftime, and it's looking rough. Then they get, they win the third quarter, forty four to thirty five. But man, in the fourth quarter, it wasn't even close. Forty one to twenty three, they win that quarter, win the game by four. What what sparked this team to come back like that? What what was their mindset? You think heading into that sort of comeback? I mean, you go in at halftime and say, "Hey, man, we can do this. We did it before." Why not? Well, we can do it again. Um, they was beating themselves. They was turning the ball over to themselves. They was uh, they wasn't thinking a lot. A lot of guys are nervous. It's playoffs. You got the TV cameras. You're playing against the, the world champion. So all that sets in. But then when you sit back and you sit and realize, man, I played this game just as well. They played this game before too. So why can't I go out here and do the same thing? And that's what they did. They I, one thing I love about this team they're a family. I love how they get in the huddles and they ended out putting their hands together one two three family, and they fight. They fight like they actually brothers, man, out there, man, to the end. And you can't, you you know this this team is unbelievable. I've I've been around a lot of Clipper teams. I've been a fan for twenty six seasons, man. But I've never seen a team as resilient as this one, man. And then especially by not having no names. I mean, no names that's in the media. Put it that way. All these guys got names. I feel, I feel that all yeah. of them got names. Shea Gilchrist Alexander is my rookie of the year. Um, most improved player, uh, Montrez Harrell, um, defensive player of the year. We we definitely got to go with um, Patrick Beverly. Um, and my MVP, man. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you know the six man. You already know the six man of the year going to Lou Will. Everybody know that. <laughs> But my MVP oh, got yeah, going, that's, uh, that's pretty much a given. And uh, and my MVP is going to uh, Danilo Gallinari, man. You know he's quiet. He's he's, he's been healthy. Yeah. You know he's played he's played throughout the season. And you know this this team this team I'm, I love this team. I really honestly do, man. I you know and I knew we had a chance this year. You know, I, I, I doubted it a little bit, but, you know, I had a couple of players, you know, former uh, uh, Clipper players come up to me and tell me, that, Daryl, don't, don't, don't sleep on this team. And I have a good friend of mine that's a high school, you know, consultant for sports teams for different high schools. And he said, man, you know, he yeah. watched a lot of college ball, and he was telling me about these guys, and I was like, wow. And then, you know, to see them work together and play hard together and then the trades they made, the trades they – but, you know, I thought they was mad about the tank, and I'm like, wow, this is man, this is fan, this is fantastic. I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah, they did make a lot of trades and brought in some some different personnel there, but I think a lot of this, and I don't know if you'll agree with me on this or not, but I think most of this needs to go on the shoulders of Doc Rivers. I think Doc Rivers has done a great job with this team. Now that uh, he's proven he is still a great coach, he has brought this team back when a lot of people counted them out, and here they are. They've taken home court away from the defending champions, which is stunning. If you'd have told me that beginning of the week, I would have never thought that. But here they are, sitting tied 1-1, heading back to L.A. So I think Doc Rivers needs to be commended for what he's done for the Clippers. Honestly, I, I agree with that 100%, man. Coach of the year. I mean, I believe what he's done with this team by not seeing, by not having an all-star on this team, by people buying into what he's saying, you know, they win, they win ball games. You know, I was never, uh, I, when Doc first came here, I was happy 
that he came, and then when he started trading away players and every time we had a different bench, I was very upset with him. But, he, you know, he brought me back. He brought me back and, and to a believer again in, in him, you know. And I understand I understand the difference between having superstars and having and having players that want to play the game. Because superstars, you got to cater to them. Guys that just want to play the game and come out and do it, yeah, they're gonna play the game. So it's it's it's, it's a total difference, man. And, Absolutely. And, you know, I, and I agree I agree with you. We have to commend Doc Rivers and his and his coaches on this. Well, another guy, of course, we can sing the praises of all night, as I've been calling him, Sweet Lou, Lou Williams. In the postseason, this so far, two games in the postseason, he's averaging 30 points per game. And if anybody's out there wondering, Lou Williams, Lou Williams, I've heard the name. Yeah, you have. He's been in the league. Now, this is his 13th season, and he may be having the best season of his life this year. The Clippers signed him last year to an extension. That I'll be honest, Darrell, I scratched my head. I said, I don't know if that was a smart move, but he's 32 years old, in his prime, a former second-round pick, and this guy has turned into, let's be honest, the best player on this Clippers team. Can he sustain mm-hmm. this for the foreseeable future? Oh, yeah, definitely, man. He's a shooter. A shooter can always extend. You see, Jamal is still in the league, so he has that type of ability to uh, to do what he has to do. Um, he believes in himself. He believes in his shot. When when Lewis cold, he's cold, you know. But a shooter's always going to shoot. So, you know, I have to commend him on what he what he brings to this team every every single night, man. He's a, you know he's a, he's a, he's a gem. I love him. Yeah, yeah, he's a great player. And the Clippers this season, if you looked at this roster, you would think this is kind of a a roster of castoffs, just a bunch of guys who nobody really thought of could put together to make a great team. You know, you look at Montrez Harrell and you look at, you know, Lou Williams, who's been kind of a journeyman. You got Jermichael Green over there, Gallinari, who has always had that potential, but's never been healthy. He's finally healthy this year. They had two solid picks this past season in the draft. They grabbed Zubak from the Lakers, which I thought was a steal of a trade. They got him for next to nothing. So, the Clippers made the right moves, and they have put a nice little team together. And the crazy thing is they're going to have some cap space in the offseason to make maybe even attract a free agent. And with what's going on in L.A. right now, especially across you know across the, <laughs> the way there with the Lakers, the Clippers have now become the destination if you want to play ball in L.A. The Laker era is over. It's Clipper time. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. I love it. But, yeah, and this, this team, you know, I'll be honest with you, I didn't think much of this team when I saw them coming in. I said, ah, they'll probably get swept. Uh, I may have gave them one game in my playoff predictions. And, I'm, you know, I'm from the East Coast, so I'll be honest. I don't get to watch as many Clipper games. Yeah, I did give them one game. I thought they'd steal one. But, man, after last night, they've got momentum. Cousins is down. There's a legitimate possibility the Clippers could win this series. I know a lot of people are probably still betting against them, but what's your thoughts on the Clippers possibly pulling the upset heard around the world here? It won't be an upset to me, man. This, this team has shown all year that they can compete. Honestly, it would not be a – people call it an upset, you know, but to me, they're just playing the game that they love to, to play every single day, man. And they, they show it on the court, man. They, these guys wouldn't be, you know – we was like games, like a game and a half, a half a game, man, between the third seed. So, 
you know, we could have been the third seed or we could have been the eighth seed. It didn't matter. Sure. To me, this is the first time being a Clipper fan that I looked at the playoffs and I didn't really care who we played because I knew that this team would play hard against any team. So it, I really, I really honestly didn't care, man. And yeah. they did last night was unbelievable. You know, 31 points down. But oh, it showed that, that they, that what they do, but you know, I just love I just love what these guys bring every night, man. You know, Montrez and the yeah. energy that he brings off that bench along with, with Lou Williams and what you know, you got Gary Temple, you got you know, got so many guys, got so many pieces to this puzzle, man. And Doc is 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 is, is putting the pieces together as they go. Yeah, and I was wondering I was actually gonna ask you who is maybe a guy that we don't know about? You mentioned Temple, but who, who's maybe a guy we don't know about on this Clippers team that, that the national media would look at and say, ah, you know, we don't really know him that well. But who's a guy that's going to step up for this Clipper team maybe in game three that we need to take note of now and pay attention to once game three tips off? You know, i got to go with my rookie guys. I'm, i got to go with both of them. i got to go with Shea, Gilchrist Alexander, and i got to go with Landry Shannon. I think them guys – have got a taste of what success is, and I, I feel he, uh, Larry Shaman, shot that got that three pointer where we went up, and I just feel like that's that's the nail biter, that's the that that's the break in the back that uh, that we need for these guys to move on from. You know, that's that's what I'm looking yeah. at because the veterans the veterans know what it's like to win. The, most most of most of them been around, but. When when you got these rookies, the rookies are scared because they be scared to shoot. They get scared they don't get taken out. You know if they make a mistake, whatever. So I don't think they're scared anymore. Yeah, and uh, I know my Sixer friends and fans out there are just cringing because they had Shamet and they let him go uh, in the trade for Tobias Harris. You know, did you think the trade for Tobias Harris in the you know at the trade deadline? Did you think that was going to hurt the Clippers? Uh, or did you like getting rid of him there? I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you what I did. I just said, and Jerry and Jerry West, we trust, and I just believed in Jerry because Jerry has put together teams that's been unbelievable. Man, he did it for the Warriors, the Lakers, the Memphis Grizzlies, and made them made them contenders. And yeah, with I I wasn't gonna put no doubt on Jerry's name, so I knew that he had something to do with it you know, to make these trades go through. So I'm like, man, not to make them go through, to put the the, uh, the people together, and we're going to move on from there, man, and and, um, and go win some games. You know, uh, I li- I'm from West Virginia. I don't know if you can tell by the accent, but I live in West Virginia. So uh, when you come on and say, in Jerry West, we trust, there's a whole state of West Virginians that say, yep, you're right, we do, we do. <laughs> the freak from Cabin Creek, there is no wrong with Jerry West, yeah. so I have to agree with you. Jerry West, one of the all-time greats in basketball, but you're right. He puts together great teams, and he's building this Clippers team now, so we'll see what he does moving forward and what decisions he makes, but you know what? I can't argue with you. You're right. The man knows talent and knows what he's doing. Um, before I let you go here, I do want to bring up, though, uh, it's a daunting task to beat the Warriors in – uh, four times in a series. It's, it's something that a lot of teams can't do. But the Clippers right now are in a good spot. Um, what do you think their mindset is? Coming home, I know you'll be there. You'll be there. Uh, uh, game three, what's the mindset look like for the Clippers heading into game three? Are they more confident now? Or are they feeling like, you know, we can play with this team? Because if I'm them, 
I'm feeling good, especially with the Warriors losing Cousins and now having to adjust, and we'll see what happens there. What do you think the, the Clippers do in game three? In game three, they're gonna they're gonna come out. They're gonna they're gonna come out and and play hard again. I mean, you know, you got to take game by game by game. Uh, you know that Durant is gonna gonna be upset. Curry gonna be upset. But you just gotta play. You just gotta play your game and don't and don't overplay. Don't overthink. You can't overthink it. Just play the game you love to play, and and and, and go with the game plan. And I, and I believe we could we we could come out victorious, man. I believe we could we could take these next two. Well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm rooting for you because it's hard to root for the Warriors. I'm supposed to be fair and balanced, but man, it's hard. I got to root for the Clippers. I love that story, and there's just so many good. There's so much talent on that team, and I really hope they get the job done. I really do, Daryl. And I do want to thank you for jumping on here and talking a little ball with us here on Why Men Can't Jump. Let our listeners know where they can keep up with you on Twitter. Like, uh, let them know where they can follow you. Maybe read and hear some of your work that you do. At Clipper Duro, man. Everything is at Clipper Duro. So they want to go to – it's at C-L-I-P-P-E-R-D-A-R-R-E-L-L or ClipperDuro.com. And, you know, that's everything. So I'm on social media. And I answer back. Or they can email me at uh, at CD at ClipperDuro.com. And, and I email back. I email back. You know, we talk. You know, they can DM me, hit me on Instagram. It don't matter, man. You know, I answer back all, all everybody because – that's what it's all about, man. It's, you know, it's kind of at its finest, baby. Awesome. Well, thank you again for jumping on. And to my buddy Armando out there in Los Angeles, big Clipper fan himself, I finally got you a Clipper guy on, Armando. So there you go. Yeah. We finally hooked big you up with the Clipper. Big shout-out to Armando. Big shout-out to Armando. All right. Daryl, thank you again so much, and I hope to have you back on real soon, man. Thank you. All right. Have a great one. You too. And that, my friends, was Clipper Darrow. What do you think, Tim? Man, what I wouldn't give to be able to have that kind of enthusiasm about anything. <laughs> the man believes, and there's nothing wrong with believing, my friend. No, certainly not. And if you're going to go in. Especially after that comeback. I mean, hey. Yeah, well, I mean, okay, I, I got to call. A spe- uh, uh, I, there's just no way the Warriors are losing that series. But I don't think so either. That being said, I mean, if you're going to cheer for a team, then you cheer for them. I admire the, you know, all in, all in, all faithful till it's over. I mean, I got no problem with that. Well, and tell you what, I have no problem with, ladies and gentlemen. We are running low on time. However, this is since we've had, we've thrown so much at you tonight. We've thrown so much towards the good people, Tim. I think we, I think they, they've earned a little treat, don't you think? Because we, we've sent a lot, a lot of info out. And I think I know the perfect thing to end this episode with. And five That's right. This is the perfect way to end. Five dollars to white men can't jump for nudes of Tom Robinson, but uh, Bush League is fine. We can also do that, but we're going to go with Bush League. Tim, 
fire up your Twitter. Head on over to the Wide Men Can't Jump page, and you'll find three videos in succession. We're going to start at the bottom here. God, what a, yeah. what a Twitter page those guys have got. God, at Wide Jump, by the way, if you want to follow us, we're on Twitter. We're getting a lot of love over there as of late, so make sure you're there. Jump All right. on board. All, All right, right so. All right, we're going to start with the first nominee for Bush League champion this week. This one's from the end of the regular season. So this is the Knicks and the Pistons. Last game of the regular season, Andre Drummond on a break, and doink, goes up, and the ball goes far away, not through the basket. Oh, my goodness. Andre Drummond. Nothing but rim, and that's kind of summing up how the Pistons are doing here tonight against the Bucks. You know what that was, Andre Drummond. That's Bush. Bush League. You hear me? That's right. It's Bush League. He was in trouble when he when he, when he made the steal, and then he had that stutter step there when he was dribbling. You knew he was in yeah. trouble. His, time, his timing was gone, and he – oh, man, that's just oh. – <laughs> this is this next one is goes out to the legend that is Dwayne Wade, our next nominee. <laughs> As Dwayne Wade does what he normally does and tries to hop up on the table to give a thank you to the great fans in Miami. He hops up on one side just fine, tries it again and boom. Falls <laughs> right down. And now you know why <laughs> Dwayne Wade has two bad knees. Oh, Dwayne, Dwayne. What, what a way for Dwayne Wade to go out. The triple-double, he trips and falls. How could a guy that effing clumsy be any good at basketball? I mean, he looked good. Like a, you know, the bull in the china shop kind of thing. That was horrid. He went straight down. I'll give him this. It was after a game. So, Dwayne Wade, you'll get a little bit of a pass. Okay, he was high okay, I could have got Cade up on that thing quicker than Dwayne Wade got up there. <laughs> well, Dwayne Wade going down. That's our second nominee. Dwayne Wade, you know what that was. I mean, that is Bush League. That's As the Miami Heat failed to reach the playoffs, but Dwayne Wade will miss you. All right, now, our final Bush League nominee, and I'm sorry, Jazz fans, you had to know it was coming. James Harden has the ball, and they're trying to take away his left pass option. And Ricky Rubio decides he's going to play as far to the left as humanly possible on James Harden. And as he does so, Harden just scampers on by and lays the ball. (laughs) I don't know what the man was thinking. I don't know what defense that was, how that was drawn up. Short of putting landing... Strip lights to the hoop. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> did they really think he wouldn't see that opening? And yeah, I mean, <laughs> he could have drove Somebody a Cadillac out. through it. I mean, really? I mean, that is <laughs> god awful. No, it's not god awful, Tim. You know what it is. That's Bush League. Ah. Well, that's Notre, Bush League. Notre and fire awful. That's that bad. Tim. I'm going to give you the choice here. Who's our winner this week? And I'm going to oh, tell you if this, I agree with you or this not. Is a toughie, but you know what? I mean, the Dwayne Wade thing is kind of funny, but 
Thanks, Dwayne Wade, because I let that one slide. Uh, the Jazz defense is – that's god-awful. But I got to go with uh, Andre Drummond and that inability really? to or slam. I just, really? I, I can't get over guys that size, professional basketball player, and you can't do that, that you screw that up. That, to me, is like a hockey player – headed to an empty net and missing it with nobody behind him. Mm. There's just just no excuse for it. Uh, The defense, that's a different – that's kind of a group effort. I mean, they'll get the award for group effort for Bush League. There's two of them, three of them stand there going, who is is number 23 for Utah? Uh, I believe that's Mitchell. Well, I mean, re-look at that video. I, I might I might take this back here after watching this again. What is he doing? Who is he guarding? That's what I'm wondering as well. I'm keeping my area of the court clean of rockets or what? <laughs> Basically. There's nobody's going to jump out and get me, by God. <laughs> I will cover the pictures of court. <laughs> I have a I wall. I got to disagree with you. I've got to go with the Jazz, <laughs> just the Jazz defense on oh, Harden and how. This again. I was so concentrated on the two guys, but look at what the other guys did. Everybody's pointing and looking, but nobody's within ten feet of anyone. Yeah, I know. Like, what is this? That's the. I mean, there's. You know, I used to be. It was. You know, there was man to man, and there was uh, zone. And you know, and then switch on the rotation kind of defense. What is this? Oh my gosh! Um, quick. Well, speaking of that, quick little, quick little update. James Harden crossed up Ricky Rubio and sent him almost all the way back to Spain tonight. <laughs> Good Lord! Luckily for Rubio, he missed the shot. Luckily, he missed the shot. now, does he? Oh man! Rubio might have. Had imbalanced ankles. That's well. Yeah, trying to guard. It's not I'll really fair. Send so. my vote. I, I take it back uh, uh, in retrospect and on further deliberation. I got to give that to the no, you know, no offense to the Utah fans, but man, I got to give that to the Jazz. That's god awful. Absolutely. So uh, effort of ugliness that really takes the cake. It did. So we agree, Utah, this week's winners of Bush League. We wanted to make sure we got you a Bush League in this week, folks. So hope you enjoyed that. So I won't play the outro music for Bush League because we're running low on time. This one's went a little over time. But, man. Bucks 99, Pistons 88, seven minutes left in the fourth. Rockets, still some uh, there. Rockets 35-19 over the Jazz in the still a minute and 23 left in the first quarter there. Looks like the Rockets yeah. are going. Rockets are going for 150 tonight. Yeah, they may do it too. So who knows? But we want to thank you guys for listening to Wide Men Can't Jump. Thank you so much for getting on here and checking out our playoff Palooza, the first round. We're going to have more next week. I've already confirmed next week. Chris Walden coming back, talking Toronto Raptors next week. Talk to him today. He'll be back talking Raptors. We should get Luke Walton on. He isn't doing anything. Well, 
Seems like uh, he may get hired by the Sacramento Kings. We haven't even had a chance to talk about that. It's, yeah, it's so much playoff. We'll have time. Uh, we will. And I want to throw out there that Friday, uh, probably 9 p.m. Eastern, but possibly 8, it will be the debut of Wide Men 366. Now, that number may, that number may stump a few people. But uh, I, I will give it away here now. That is the uh, greatest, uh, the best overall career uh, baseball hitting average of all time by the great Ty Cobb. Well, there you go. Uh, a little baseball action heading your way here on Wide Men Can't Jump. Uh, note, to, note to the listeners, will not include me. So no, this is the fair part. Tentatively to be joined by Nick Hoff. Um, we're not promising uh, that you're going to take anything we say and run down to the betting office and plop down some money on it. But we're, we're going to take a, like a general look at the league and the teams we like and don't like and what's going on and whatever news there might be. And then we're going to do a little flashback uh, to some baseball history because Lord knows baseball, there's numbers everywhere. I mean, you can, you oh, can absolutely. talk baseball statistics. Absolutely. And uh, we want to go ahead and also mention Sunday, Sunday evening, Easter Sunday. Sunday, Sunday. Absolutely. I'm just going to throw it out there, folks. The NFL draft is next week. And Sunday, the Wide Men Can't Jump NFL Draft Special coming at you. Be myself, Tim Donova. We may be joined by Tom Robinson. Perhaps. 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 And a good friend of mine from, excuse me, I have to cough, Buffalo, New York, Mr. Justin Bailey, jumping on with us as he dives into the first round of the NFL draft. And we go team by team and pick the first round of the NFL draft and who we predict. Will be able to explain to us why the Buffalo Bills don't know how to draft? No, he hates the Buffalo Bills. He's in the Army. Oh, he's. Know. Carolina Panthers fan. Okay, well, I I like the fact he's not a Bills tough swallow. And I, I, of course, will explain in 30 seconds or less why the Raiders will botch their entire first-round pick selection. Buddy, you're telling me. But we'll get into that on Sunday. We'll be back next week for more wide and can't jump action. Uh, And hopefully next week, fingers crossed, I'm hoping to release my uh, special for the Crockett Cup on NWA Pro Wrestling. Um, hopefully, if I can get everything worked out, uh, so don't hold me to this yet, hopefully it'll be out next week. If not, it'll be whenever I get it out. So uh, I'm working on that right now. I've got a couple of names. Uh, they're going to get together and talk about two NWA World Heavyweight title matches they had against each other. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that. What about talk about the, that. What about the uh, dropping of Little TR's new spoken word album, my Father and My Incarceration. I thought it was called My Father and My Country. <laughs> okay, but this is Little T.R. He doesn't have a country. That's he's, true. He's a man. He's he's living in the terminal like Tom Hanks. He's, he's, he's an overweight, juvenile, diabetes sufferer with no country. <laughs> <laughs> Call 1-800-GIVE. 1-800-GIVE to give little TR his insulin for a week, folks. It only costs you 25 cents a day. But but anyway, anyway, 
<laughs> we want to thank you guys for listening. Also, also, Tim, I, I'm breaking this live on the air. Tim doesn't even know this yet. We Ooh. may have someone to join us to talk a little playoff hockey. Um, oh, I will. I will. I will talk to you more offline about this. He's a big Detroit Red Wings fan. Oh, that's so cool we'll talk. We'll talk a little more about that offline. So, uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Wide Men Can't Jump. I hope you guys enjoyed the show tonight. And we went a little overtime, about fifteen minutes over, but that's okay. Hope you guys enjoyed it. A lot to talk about. We'll have a lot more to come back to next week. Uh, a lot of things to discuss. Playoffs are going on. Jam packed shows. Thanks to TR for jumping on, giving us a rundown. John Corellis, thank you. Thanks to Clipper Daryl. And TJ McBride, man, we are blessed here at Wide Men Can't Jump when it comes to people willing to talk to us, break down the sport. I hear you. What was that? Yeah. I said, best is always, man. And I hear you. Yeah, man. So thanks again, everybody, for listening. We hope you join us next week. Same time, same place, hopefully. And uh, we want you guys to enjoy some NBA playoffs, but don't miss out. We're going to be doing a lot more stuff here going forward iTunes, Podcast Static, Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, anywhere you find podcasts, you'll find us. And um, real quick, Tim, um, I have a little side venture that a buddy of mine is doing. I told him I would mention it. I've been helping him somewhat. Uh, The greatest fantasy wrestling draft show to ever live, as hosted by my buddy Casey King. Check that out. He just got it up on iTunes, just got it up on – should be up on Google Play soon. Check that out. It's a fun little Check concept. No offense, but let's think think to yourself of all the shitty wrestling podcasts you've ever listened to. Now go listen to a good one. No, thank you, Tim. I appreciate that. We worked hard on that one. Uh, I'm helping him out. I'm helping different. Him out. Same old nonsense of. Oh yeah, I was in the, I, I was in row eight back in 1974. When uh, Billy Job Thornton uh, did the job to DJ Smith in the in the auditorium, but it wasn't on TV and nobody was there, but it happened and it was great. And if you didn't see it, you missed out on the greatest wrestling ever. Well, I'll say this about the show: the show is a bunch of guys who are fans, but most of us are in the business. We're either workers or uh, you know we're guys that help out with production. We know the wrestling business pretty well, and it's just our fandom and our way of combining yeah. fantasy sports, combining fantasy sports and wrestling. And yeah. I think it's fun. Yeah. And none of you broke the sugar holes, though, right? No, 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 no. But either way, we check it out, see if you like it. It's a fun little concept. Uh, we got a guy on there who actually wrestled Dusty Rhodes, Tito Santana, and more uh, on the show. He's a friend of mine. He's a great pro wrestler. So. Check it out. See if you like it. Just thought I'd plug it there. And uh, we hope to have you guys join us again here on Wide Men Can't Jump next week. Thanks again, everybody, for listening in. Tim, anything you want to say before we get out of here? No, I think I'm pretty much done. I'm spent. All right. I'm going to go have two cheeseburgers and get ready for bed. Can't wait for that, everybody. Thanks for listening in to Wide Men Can't Jump. Send us home, Tim. Peace, everyone. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I hear you folks making fun of me saying I got diabetes just because I can't go two or three minutes without eating a Twinkie. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
screwed you both, you fat bastards. Tom, I ain't going to call you daddy anymore. You're just Tom to me. You useless mole. You can't find addresses in Philadelphia. No wonder you can't find me to come pick me up, you big dummy. I'm so done with this podcast. I don't ever want to come on this show again. Screw you all. Viva Mexico. Oh, God. Peace. I ain't even got to say it. That's just something they know. Thanks for listening to the Wide Men Radio Network located at blogtalkradio.com and at widemencantjump.com. Be sure to check out our blogs over at widemencantjump.com and also be sure to check out all the other shows that we put out. You can find us on iTunes, Podcast Static, Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, iHeartRadio, and anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Also, at WideBeanCanShum.com. Visit our store and buy some new t-shirts. They're available now in all sizes. This show is brought to you by the Law Offices of Stephen P. New at NewLawOffice.com and by Cambay.com. Be sure to visit Cambay.com and use promo code WIDEBEN to get 20 free credits on your purchase. Thanks for listening again, and we'll see you next time for the next episode on the Wide Men Radio Network.